0: Derek Seagraves here interviewing Eugene Wilson for the Apostolic Authors Podcast. I'm so excited to share my friend with you. He's a wonderful author. He's authored six books. He's got 15 in the hopper. They're being translated into all these different languages. And not only that, he shares his process and he shares his tools and he shares what he found challenging and how he overcame those challenges. So maybe get a pencil ready and get ready to take notes because Eugene Wilson is going to tell you how to be an excellent apostolic author. He really is, and and I want you to go ahead and uh, visit his website and get his books and check it out. Uh, Also, I want to invite you to come to apostolicpublishinghouse.com and look at us as a partner for your publishing needs. If you need to ask questions, if you need some direction, if you need somebody to partner with you in the process of getting your book out globally, worldwide, we would love to answer your questions and see what we could do for you. Again, that's apostolicpublishinghouse.com, but first, let's get into the podcast. All right. So I'm here with Eugene Wilson, an author and apostolic minister out of the uh, Cady Church. And I want to ask you, sir, uh, I want to really serve our audience and people that are listening. And I expect that they are prospective authors or they're new authors. They're looking at writing their next book, maybe. And so the first thing I want to ask you is, uh, why did you write? What was your motivation in writing the books that you have? And then please share what books you have written.
1: Well, I'm going to take a little longer story. I'm going to start back somewhat at the very beginning. I hate English. I love math. I remember my father trying to correct me, which is kind of amusing because my dad, as I got older, I realized he, butchers a lot of words, he would try to correct me. And I would say, well, it doesn't really matter. I I don't like English. I don't like studying anything about English. And uh, a few years ago, I sat on a panel discussion at a general conference during one of the breakout sessions for uh, authors. The in, the individual was Brother uh, Puford, who's uh, one of the editors uh, there at the Pentecostal Publishing House. And he said, you are the writer of excellence. That's why I want you on this panel discussion. I was asking, why, why do you want me on this panel discussion? And I started laughing because I've never read a book on writing. I've never read any, I don't, I don't own any books on grammar. I, I, I butcher it. I, when I got married, I'd be, I was speaking and my wife would say, uh, here, here's a list of words you pronounce wrong. There would be twenty to twenty-five <laughs> words. But having said that, I love the creative process of things. I, I've always liked writing, I, drawing, just anything creative. I love that. So when I was in Bible college, a few friends of mine said, "You ought to write. You ought to write." And I, I you know, here I am. I'm the guy that doesn't like English, you know, grammar, and so a few years later, I, I was actually in my early 30s. I was pastoring. And I had to write some letters, and uh, they were very important. I wanted to make sure everything was together right. So my father-in-law was the editor of the Pentecostal um, Herald at the time and had been an editor for many years. So um, I sent the letters to him, and he responded back. He said, you want to start writing. He said, you you have a knack for writing. And and so I ended up going back to school, and uh, I was talking to one of my professors about My desire to impact leaders, and this kind of goes into a little bit of your question, my desire to impact leaders, and she said, well, if you want to impact leaders, you need to start writing. And I said, well, I've always wanted to write. And I said, but I don't think, you know, I, but I'm a writer. I, I butcher the English language. She said, oh, quite the contrary. She said, I teach hundreds and hundreds of students. And she said, "Um, you stand out. She said, you have a great skill in writing. So it was those things. And then in my doctoral program, the same thing happened. And so, my first book actually was uh, Realign, and that was at towards the end of my doctoral program. It's it somewhat of my dissertation, basically, so called A Final Project. That's uh, a little bit of the story that started moving me in this direction. Thank God for people who encouraged me. I don't really know what I'm doing from the science of it, I just know when it sounds right through the years of just so many things, you know, as a student, uh, so much writing and writing and writing and online student at that, then writing the books and things have just grown. So that's a little bit of the journey there. I don't think I've answered all of the questions that you asked me, but that's a beginning.
0: Yeah, that's a wonderful start. And motivations are super important. Everybody's got to know their why and work from there. Uh, how has it uh, affected your ministry, being an author and having written? D- does the writing process make you think differently or minister differently? Or has it opened doors for you, created it new avenues of ministry, perhaps?
1: Yes. Well, that, that, that's an interesting question, which you didn't really ask this, but you somewhat did, maybe not intentionally. I need to drop back a little bit. Some of My writing actually came about because of ministry. I would, I would write my, my messages out my brother-in-law had shown <laughs> his notes one time and it's my wife's brother and he had written everything out my father-in-law writes everything out okay so up until then i had never written my notes out like that so i would sit down and and create my entire sermon and i would write it out everything out word for word so that actually began helping me hone the skills of of writing and of course now you don't write even today, I don't write notes like I would if I was writing a book, but that was the beginning of it. It had a huge, huge impact on me. And of course, my father-in-law now is 81, or getting ready to turn 81 years old. He's always wanted to be one of those speakers who doesn't use his notes. But he said at 80-something years old, 80 years old, he said, my memory is not as sharp as it used to be. He said, but I'm finding that my writing out my messages, he said, enables me to speak. He speaks every Sunday. <laughs> um, here at the church so uh it's pastor elder with uh with a red flowers in dallas texas so uh, writing writing has so many different impacts that you don't really see coming my father-in-law never saw that coming that at 80 years old he would still be able to preach and preach effectively because he's written everything out in great notes so for me um writing has opened up a, a tremendous amount of doors my, my story goes back to being a home missions pastor in my mid thirties and uh, coming home on a Sunday afternoon, being frustrated and saying that, um, I, you know, God, I don't have to be here. I don't have to be a home missions pastor doing this. I could be full time. And I was just really aggravated. I wasn't expecting God to say anything to me. I was just expressing my feelings. He spoke to me and I said, actually, I said, all I want to do is train leaders. And he said, well, train them. And I was like, yeah, right. Like we got like four or five, you know, people that could train as leaders. And God said, well, if you'll be faithful with a little, I will give you much. And that day I just started just weeping. That day changed my life. And that's when I decided to go back to school and uh, pursue leadership and, and and then get into writing a few years later and write the books. And everything that I prayed at 20 years old, um, I am now experiencing I say 20 years, so I'm sorry. Things I prayed 20 years ago, I am now beginning to experience God. primarily from, from writing. In August, I was in the Philippines, Brother Shock and, and another minister, and we were teaching 240 leaders. In the Philippines, and these are the superintendent of the Philippines, the assistant superintendents, and their national youth director, and on and on. And that is the largest oneness apostolic organization in the world. In uh, the United States, we have around 750,000. In the Philippines, it's 1.2 million. And so here I am teaching 240 of their top leaders. And uh, I'm just the guy 20 years ago that was the home missions pastor saying, you know, I just want to train leaders. And then go back to school, write the books, and then all this just kind of comes together. But I didn't see that come. I didn't set out twenty years ago, I'm gonna write a book so I can go do this. That that wasn't my thinking. My thinking was I just have such a burning desire to train leaders and I thought it was just gonna be there at the home missions. Church that we were going to raise up leaders and the church grow. I thought that's all it was going to be, and the Lord said, "Well, be faithful a little; I'll give you much." And He has expanded the much way beyond anything I could conceive, and it has increased over and over again. I I do a lot of travels uh, to Asia, and uh, I'm very careful in in talking about some of that, and most people don't know about it. I don't put it on any social media, but uh, I, I do a lot of travels in different countries in Asia. And some of those places that I've gone has been just, it's mind blowing. I'm sitting there teaching, you know, at one trip, 25 leaders. And I'm looking across the room and I'm seeing this man who looks like a farmer. And I said, what's that guy doing? And they said, well, he's, he's a farmer, but he's also a pastor. And I said, really? And they said, yeah, he pastors 20,000 people. Oh, and I was just like blown away. So I go back on another trip and there's about, Eighty church leaders. Well, he's there, and I'll never forget the moment. He began praying over me, and I'm praying for him. And he's he's in his um, mid to late sixties, and so the the books flow out of a pursuit of study and leadership and a hunger and following the Lord. And so I've given myself to that. A lot of money has been spent. A lot of time has been spent years of going to school, you know, $100,000 plus in education, which I still owe. But thankfully, <laughs> I um, work in, um, you know, in a nonprofit environment so I can get it all written off in 10 years. So I've just got to finish get all my paperwork together. The, the Lord has been good, but, the writing has has been such a big part of this i don't believe that i would have gone to some of those places in asia and, and gone been in the philippines and done the things i've done if it hadn't been for the writing but i talked to some writers and, and i'm maybe jumping ahead and, and some things you'd like to talk about but please um, i talked to some writers who who are so consumed with you know, writing and trying to figure out how I can make money off of it. I've never gone about my writing and in, in trying to make money. It's never, it, it would, would I like to? Yeah, that would be great, but I've never approached it that way. I approached it from the, from the standpoint that I have a message that I want to share with as many people as possible and how can I get that message out? And if money comes from that, that's great. If not, it's okay. I just want to get the message out. And if I knew that I could make $10,000 from writing something, but it only impacted 100 people, as opposed to I could impact 1,000 people and make zero, I would take making zero to impact 1,000 people over impacting 100 because that's always... Uh, been the drive is you know is a desire to make a difference in, in as many lives as possible.
0: You know a lot of people go and approach authoring and they look at the investment they're going to have to make. but what you've done here is explained the greater investment, not just the cost of self-publishing or taking a course, but you've got your whole education, you've got years in ministry, you've got relationships and and travel and such. That have helped you be able to write these books, and then these books have turned around and helped you pursue even further. I think impact is the best reason to write. Most definitely,
1: that's awesome. It's my burning passion because of the message that I feel that I have. And now, having said that, what's been my my education is is in leadership. My uh, my doctorate is a doctorate in strategic leadership. My master's degree is a degree in human relations, and I was studied to be a licensed professional counselor. And so everything that a licensed professional counselor would have in, in their education, from premarital counseling to counseling marital couples, I, I have that. I, I've studied all of that, and I stopped short in, in some other areas and just graduated with a human relations degree. So my writing, and I've written, uh, I wrote a column for um, every month for eight or nine years in the Pentecostal uh, Herald and the, the Life, and I'm still. I, uh, I write a column uh, about three to four times a year, and then occasionally some other articles. But most of my writing is within either leadership or something related to a, a counseling um, or family type of uh, area. But my, my love is is definitely the leadership. But I have found, like my recent book is the book called Rotativity. That is a, a totally unique um, type of book. I'm not necessarily writing from my education, but I'm writing from my, my life in being busy and in my mm-hmm. life being busier than ever. And then, well, how do I handle all that? So I coined the term you uh, here I am, I mess up words and make up words, and I finally put one of them into a book. So I, I actually coined the term rodentivity, and it's taken like the rodent who's spinning the wheel is not going anywhere. And I thought, man, that's what we think sometimes when we're busy because we think we're being productive, but we're really not being productive. Uh, we're just spinning the wheel. So I came up with rodentivity and the definition being I love it. thinking that to be busy is to be productive because it's not.
0: Definitely. I remember um, <clears throat> you came to IBC and talked to us about the Sabbath, how it was a commandment. And that really impacted me. the The idea of taking time to trust God and that it was a commandment and things like that. I really appreciated that. I'm curious. Uh, do you have anything, any new projects coming up, exciting things oh, yeah. you got planned? Uh, <laughs> what, what could we look oh. forward to from you?
1: Oh yeah. Well, you asked me a question early on, and I never really finished answering. It just came back to me. My first book was uh, Realign. God called connecting. God called leaders connecting with their purpose. The Second one was seventy. The third one was um, leading growth, and then I came out with relativity. So I actually have a uh, a fifth book that will come uh, be published uh, in it will be at general conference. Lord willing, we have general conference this fall, and yes. uh, it is called rhythm. And I actually just got back a, uh, they're in the process of doing the editing work, just got it back right before we started this podcast. But it's written, and they've changed the subtitle. It's getting things done when you have too much to do. It's a book that is going to be a, a kind of a follow up to Rodentivity. And so when I was writing Relativity, my desire was is I see so many of us that were busy in life and I'm busy and I am adjunct professor and I'm an executive pastor and I speak and I have you know I write and then I travel doing coaching consulting. I'm a nonprofit and you know a wife, two kids, and a cat and (laughs) everything. Cat's my wife's, but you know, all this busy stuff and yet wanting to align with purpose. I'm just so driven to help people align with purpose so i wrote rotativity out of that but in that process and trying to be the most productive as i can be i decided to do a personal pursuit of of finding what are the best tools that i can utilize in my own life and being as productive as i can be as i am still aligned with my purpose so rotativity is mm-hmm. about the purpose rhythms a little bit more about some tools so um mm-hmm. in life, my own personal pursuit and I read wide and, and pulled all kinds of resources and from those pulled out what I thought were some of the top things to use and uh, that I had been applying to my life and begin to utilize and I'm excited about it. So that one is done. I have another one that is completed. We decided to hold off on publishing it to 2021, but it's already complete. It's called The Difference Maker. It's built on seven principles that I learned when I was pastoring uh, in a whole mission's Setting when I was in my early 30s, and these are seven key principles that I learned during that time that I continue to apply to my life today. And so, um, I'm working right now on a um, kind of like a workbook handbook to go along with that. Awesome, and it is the smallest book that I have written. Normally, my books are around I don't go by word page numbers, I always go by word count. My books normally around 38 to 42,000 words, and so the difference maker. I'm, yeah, The Difference Maker is a book around 26,000, 27,000 words. Just finished co-writing a book that we were going to do at Jim Cops this year, but it looks like it's going to be the spring of 2021. And uh, the title of it is um, The Spiritually Healthy Church Leader. I co-wrote that book with Matthew Mullins, which is um, completing his doctorate right now. He's in his dissertation phase. And we have teamed up in working with the nonprofit organization that we that I founded some years back. So he's now the CEO of that. It's called a, Equipping Leaders. And so we wrote a book, The uh, Spiritually Healthy Church Leader. And that one is somewhere around 70, I think it's 73, 74,000 words. So by far oh, the largest book that we have, that we have written or that I have been a part of in writing. So that one is basically done. We're, we're tightening up a couple little areas. And so I'm working on the workbook. And then I've got, I always keep, somewhere on the average seven to 10 other books that I am in the back of my mind that I am want to write. And so I'm always, as far as tools I use, um, I love Evernote. So oh, I grow yeah. everything in the Evernote. And as I start getting these ideas about, Oh, I'd really like to write a book on this. Then I start tagging stuff for that. It helps me find it later. I'll still go through yeah. you know, all my stuff in Evernote that's my tool basket. I was writing, I believe it was leading growth. As I was writing leading growth, I wrote a chapter and I tried to keep my chapters within my word count. So I Mm -hmm. don't just keep, you know, building, 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 try to narrow it down. And so as I was writing that, I, I wrote a chapter and I was like, wow, this is a book. And I just stopped immediately and I and I totally took that chapter out, set it aside, and someday I will go back and write that that book. So um, I'm multiple projects. One of them I'm really wanting to write that I keep thinking a lot about and throwing things back. I've called it Project 490, and it's it's 70 times seven. So it's it's all about forgiveness, so it's Project 490. Got all kinds of makings on that. Got some manuals on some I'm certified in different things that I'm wanting to do some uh, development for uh, helping people discover the ministry and some Bible studies, some stuff on the kingdom of God. I mean, the list just goes on and on. It's just and the fun part for me is the researching and the digging. And I'm I'm, I'm perhaps weird in that I research, research, read, 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 and I'm always reading, always researching, always pulling things together. And then when I get ready to write, I gather all of this together. And then I begin just like narrowing and narrowing. And then it has to become a part of me. And when it becomes a part of me where I really get, it's not head knowledge where I've got it. Then I write and I can sit down and write it pretty quickly, but Mm -hmm. it takes this whole mass. So when I do that, I might have, and it's not unrealistic that I could have 20,000 words of stuff that I have pulled from all kinds of resources. And from that 20,000 words, I will write, uh, Four thousand. So it's, well, that's it's a great a, process. It's it's a long process. So <laughs>
0: no, I love it, but it's so valuable. You're distilling what what you know the everything right. else has to say about that subject, and you're really serving the reader and saving them having researched all that and and made that a part of
1: themselves. And so now they just what was much valuable. Journey. And it's an ongoing journey for me because I, as a leader, it's not about what you do as much as it is about what you become. And the doing flows from the becoming. So if I can become what I'm studying, what I'm researching, then the doing will flow. The, the book will flow out of me. So uh, for, my, for me, I made a goal years ago that I would write at least one book every year. And I actually have a 15 books in 10 years goal, but at least one book every year that I would write. And so I will spend six months plus of reading, researching, pulling things together And I will write the book in about two to three months, max.
0: I I wanted to ask you about your process. Yeah. You've described it a little bit. I think you've described it plenty fine. Uh, Tell me this. What do you find difficult about reading? Uh, About writing, I'm sorry.
1: About Writing, uh, when I get a brain block, it's just like you're sitting down to write. And I, I remember on one of the books I was writing, and I tell my wife this all the time. My wife's in a doctoral program right now. And she, she's a great writer. She's a, a great thinker, but she gets frustrated sometimes because she feels like she's a mental block. And so here I am trying to write. And I remember I rewrote paragraph. I don't remember how many times. I just remember the amount of time. It was eight hours and trying to write one paragraph. One paragraph, eight hours. Um, I would write articles for the Pentecostal Herald in normally seven, 800 words and times a little longer. But I remember sitting down and it taking me eight to 12 hours to write a very good, you know, seven to 800 word article, which writing that type of article is sometimes harder than writing something that's, you know, a uh, lengthier, but because you really have to have it together and course. A lot of my studies as an online student writing discussion posts, 200, 300 words of substance. It helped hone some of those skills. But I've also sat and I've also sat down and began writing and wrote an entire article in forty five minutes, and and no, no edits whatsoever. I mean, just <laughs> load. I mean, that doesn't happen often. So the writing block is is um, is a. Uh, is a struggle. And the one other thing, and this is my biggest struggle that I have in writing, but getting to that blog, you know, it, trying to get through that happens at times, but that's not my biggest struggle. My personal biggest struggle is that I will start wanting to edit as I'm writing. I'll go, Oh, how do you use this word? And I go back and I start changing words and I, wait, it needs to flow better. And I'll, I'll start change the flow and you can't do that. The best thing to do is just, Get it on paper, just write. Don't worry about spelling. Don't worry about yes. you know what words are used in the flow of sentences. Just write, and that's my biggest struggle. I, I think that I my guess is is that I probably do it the right way about fifteen to twenty percent of the time. I'm probably eighty five to eighty percent. You know I'm wrong. I'm I'm going back, changing stuff, and I constantly fight myself over that. I think I could do a whole lot better and a lot quicker in my writing if I would you know, learn not to, um, edit yeah. a lot. Right.
0: You can get lost in the weeds really easy. Speaking of tools, are there some word processors you can actually turn off the little red and blue squiggly lines so you don't see them so that they don't let you know that you, yeah. <laughs> you got some editing to do.
1: Yeah, yeah, no. You
0: can save yourself there. Um, do you edit, uh, do you hire somebody to edit your work? Do you have a friend or, or a family member or do you leave that to the publishing house You know uh, when you're, when you're editing and formatting, how do you go about that?
1: Yeah, I, um, uh, my wife is okay. Early on, my father-in-law would do a lot and, uh, of editing for me. And then my wife would do a lot of editing for me. And, uh, but they're busy they have their own life. So eventually I just, I don't bother them. I haven't bothered them in years. I think that ended maybe on the first book, somewhere in the first book. And after that, I I never bothered them with it. My my editing is all at the Pentecostal Publishing House, so I said it to them. They edit. Now, having said that, it's only been in the last probably two three years that I got into Grammarly, Pro Writing Aid. I just, in fact, that was just this year. Of course, you know, it scares the daylights out of it me. It's I run something through Pro Writing Aid? I'm like, are you serious? I mean, all of that. And, uh, and then cool, that. what's that?
0: Great tools, though.
1: Oh yeah, but then I ended up overwriting You know, a lot of I like. No, nah, I don't agree with that. So I'm always getting called on passive. You know, passive writing. You know, and I'm like, no, no, I, I like the passive. I'm okay with that. So I just go ahead and send it in. But that, that's probably the most. If I, if I, if I, to be honest, if I take the time and really focus, I can. Every editor needs an editor. You know, every writer needs an editor. Having said that, if if I slow down. I can turn it in where it's got very. I, mean, I hear it all the time from different ones who edit my stuff that very, very few edits. It's just going down to take the time. Yeah,
0: yeah. Is there anything else you find challenging about writing? Uh, maybe the aftermath, like the the some people deal with the fear that uh, something will get out there and then they'll need to change it. You never find problem. anything difficult about being an author? People come up to you afterwards and oh you wrote that book and it changed my life and uh, or or why didn't you write the other thing?
1: Anything yeah. like that. You know
0: Any tools to manage that.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, for, for me personally, I, I talk to people who struggle with that very thing. For me, I've it's never been a struggle. Um, I, I've talked to people who have written books that they've never published because they constantly go back and it's got to be perfect. And it's never it's never bothered me. I, I never go back and reread what I wrote. If I write an article and it I'm at eight nine years of writing a monthly article for the Chicago herald Life, I may have read four of those three or four of those. In all those years, I don't go back and read my books. I write it, now. I'll go back later researching my own material. You know, like, hey, I I remember this, but I don't go back and read. I just – when I'm done, I I just move on. I I just figured this. You know what? I'm going to make mistakes, and my – there's going to – you know, every now and then there's going to be something in the book. Someone's missed it in it from the editing. Um, I'm going to grow in my understanding. But you know what? At that time, when I wrote that, that was the best – that I could do that's what I understood at that time that's you know that's was my level of, of knowledge for example not to get into the details of it but uh, in my doctoral program I was exposed to what's called uh, double loop learning and I thought wow that is really cool and and the more I studied what double loop learning was I thought I, I want to include that so I included that in my book well it was like two or three years later I came across what was called triple uh, triple loop learning well, I didn't even know anything about triple loop learning when I wrote about double loop learning. Well, guess what? I ended up including triple loop, triple loop learning later. So to me, that's just part of the journey. It's never bothersome. Now, going back to something that I, I actually thought a while ago when I was talking, I wanted to share it, and I skipped right over it. But one of the things that I that I have learned that has helped me is uh, mind mapping.
0: You oh yeah.
1: not if I've heard of it, but maybe some people Please have.
0: describe it for folks.
1: Yeah, so mine, the difference in, in mind mapping and my traditional way of putting together an outline was that you think kind of linear. You know, you're looking for the one, two, three, four, five, and you're putting all your chapters together. So the first time I wrote a book was realigned, and Realign actually began before I ever started my doctoral program. It was came from my time of pastoring. And then at a whole mission's church, and then going to a church of 600 people, being on staff full time, and seeing the difference between these two churches. And so I began to learn some principles. So those principles began to take root in my mind. And I remember having a conversation with a senior pastor, and he said, What have you learned from here? I said, Oh, these one, two, three, four, five. And that one, two, three, four, five was the core that I began to study in my doctoral program, which became the core of my book realign. So I was able at that point in time to put into a kind of a linear thought process as I began to write realign. I had never written a book before. I didn't know what to do to write a book. How did you write a book? I mean I can write an article, but I can't write a book. So I go to Barnes and Noble's books a million, one of them I pulled out like 10 books. I said, I think this is about the size of book that I want to write. And I set them all down on this table in that in that bookstore. And I start counting how many words are on a page. And I basically did that by counting how many words were in a sentence. And I just randomly went throughout the book and I realized, oh man, there's usually seven to nine words in a sentence in this book. So I thought, okay, so that's eight eight words. Okay, how many lines are there? Well, there's usually 24 to 26. Okay, 24 lines on a page. Okay, 24 times eight. And how many pages are in this book? And that's that's how I came out with the word count. So then I decided, okay, if I want to read a book I don't want to read a real long chapter. I don't want to read a short chapter, not in this book that I'm going to be writing. So I want to write a book about this this long of a chapter. And I'm like, okay. So I figured out the word count is going to be somewhere between 35 and 4,200 words per chapter. And there's my book of 38 to 40,000 words, 10 chapters. And so know chapters, well, I can write. I've written a lot of articles uh, and papers for school, you know, 2,800, 3,000, so, so I can do this. Well, it got a little easier because I finally realized, oh, there's subheadings in these chapters. So all I got to do is write 500 words, each one. And I just got to make sure I connect them where they flow to the next section. Just yeah. as I, if I was writing a paper, well, then it needs to flow from chapter to chapter. And uh, before I know it, there's a book. So then, it's just the diligence of staying with it. But going back to mind mapping, that that is linear thinking, trying to put together an outline. But mm-hmm. mind mapping, the best way I describe it is that you put in the center of your paper. And if you big sheet of paper is great, if you like working with the scribbles, and a big sheet of paper right in the middle, your central thought, your goal, your the title of the book, whatever it is that is the center. Write that in the middle, and then from that, just start writing. Put thoughts down. Oh, yeah, this and that thought and this thought. And you're just making these thoughts around a piece of paper. And then off those thoughts, oh, well, I could do this thought under this and this. And then you just kind of begin moving these things around through, through drawing lines. And before you know it, you have a chapter with all of its subheadings. So when I got ready to write uh, 70, 70 came out of a dream, the core. Of 70, it was a dream that I had that I was going to be preaching at General Conference and I was going to talk about Moses and Elijah. And I'm like, Moses and Elijah. And that, you know, you don't think of Moses and Elijah together. And then the next day after my dream, I'm telling my brother in law, I was there visiting with him and he said, Yeah, well, Moses and Elijah, they were together on Mount Transfiguration. And I'm like, Well, man, I never thought about that. So then i like, what were they doing on Mount Transfiguration? And why Moses and Elijah? Why not Abraham and, and David? And so all of that became this book. So what I began to study from that, what I began to learn. And so I sat down and did a mind map. First one I'd ever done on a book. I had my outline done in 15 minutes. 85% of probably every, every, every subheading. Now, I would tweak my subheadings, you know, with the, the wording. But the core of every subheading, 85% of that book was was done in the outline within 15 minutes. Amazing. And so that was mind mapping. So now I use mind mapping for just about everything because mind mapping basically what it is is taking everything in your mind on that subject and putting it on paper. And then you yeah. begin to arrange it. And then when I get done, I put it into a linear form. And then I'm not locked in. You know, i I will constantly the 15%, you know, I'll move a chapter over here. I'll get, wait a minute. I don't like that subheading there. I'm going to move it over here. But all of it from mind mapping. And when I saw it, it blew my mind. <laughs> mind mapping blew my mind. And that it saved me so much time, so much time. And then there was, you know, your life from everything that you've read, everything that you've experienced, everything you experienced as a child, all the stories you have encountered in, in the meeting there for people, as you start thinking about certain things, it will, you'll, you'll have that chase that rabbit. Oh, wait a minute. This other thought, this other thought, and uh, it just keeps expanding. And when you get all that on paper, it's easy then to put it into a linear form.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, thank you for giving everybody that tool. I agree. My mapping is a lot of fun. Uh, I'll use it for uh, teaching, preaching, sermons. I kind of talk about it as uh, dumping all the puzzle pieces on the table rather than trying to find the corners and work your way from one corner across like we do with uh, outlines. Get it all out on the table and then see how it connects. Amen. Yes,
1: sir. Well, that's awesome. Guys like you and others who actually like draw pictures. And uh, I'm like, now they got pictures up there and they're going to go like a preach a sermon off of like a little picture. And they got all these little drawings, all of this piece of paper and to them. It makes perfectly good sense. Yeah. That's the me.
0: other nice thing is that it fits the person. You're the one that wrote it. So you can, you can work from it. That's great. <laughs> well, I love that you have uh, this devotion to, to write so much. I love that you also, like you see people hindering themselves. and I love that you gave them that kind of permission and that kind of, you know, ability to step past it. I think that we should forgive ourselves and have some grace in what we've written in the past and continue to move forward, give ourselves some grace for what we've done in the past and move forward and say, that's who I was then. And now I'm going to move on and It continue to grow. I hate to see, and I I encounter it too, like you said, you do people that have books already written and they're, they're trapped by fear and paralyzed by analysis sometimes from being able to actually release that thing into the world and letting it make its impact.
1: Amen. Well said. I agree. I agree.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of motivations to write and I love yours. Do you have any advice, uh, and you've kind of already done this, but any other advice for people, uh, especially apostolics, specifically apostolics? Like this whole podcast is built out of my desire and and passion for the apostolic message and our teachings, but also our testimonies to get out there and continue to minister to people in the midweek. Because we can hear these things over the pulpit on Sunday, but if we had them in a book, we could read them and be supported in the midweek and in between services and such and grow. And so that's where I'm coming from and even inviting you to talk today and uh, share your books and your, your experience. Do you have any more advice for apostolics that are wanting to write and maybe they just need a nudge or they're stuck?
1: Yes. First of all, I should have said this at the very beginning, but thank you for the invitation to share. And as you can tell, I'm, I'm, I'm quite passionate about what I'm talking about. I just, I, I love writing. I have goals written out in my, my life through the age of 82 and beyond most of it is centered around writing, and as the older I get, the more time I will spend with writing. Peter Drucker wrote two-thirds of all his books after the age of 65 years old. Oh, wow. So um, I intend to do something similar. So I, I love to write. It's a process, and I love to see what comes out of that. And again, on the, the becoming aspect, so to your question, I think that's a, a very important part of it for apostolic authors to pursue to pursue the becoming in the in the becoming the, the person that God wants us to be in alignment with his word. I'm just so driven to align with the word of God. And that one of my biggest encouragements, if I can say this in a, in the most positive form is that don't just take what you hear, study it, get in the word of God. Don't just take something that's just said, because I can say something in a pulpit that is like a, a cool little, you know, phrase,
0: <laughs> and
1: uh, but don't take my cool little phrase and think I can go right into our book on it. Take the phrase and dig deep and find out really what it says in the Word of God, and then write from that. Just dig deep. I, my, my professors would encourage me over and over again: dig deep, dig deep. And I'd be like, "What do you mean, dig deep? Go further. Go, go study. Go beyond what you what you've studied. Go go a little further in it." And so, you know, I, I hear, for just an example, I hear the phrase, I've said this many times, God robed in flesh. Well, he's not robed in flesh. There's no scripture that says he's robed in flesh. He's, He's it's, it's God is manifested in, you know, in flesh. And so there's there's a difference, you know, sure. manifestation in flesh is different than robed. And I know what we mean when we say that, but, you know, if you're writing a book on robed in flesh, and uh, you really want to make an impact. You may want to dig a little deeper and go beyond <laughs> the flesh into you know manifest flesh. Uh, another one is you know let's uh, lift him up. He'll draw all men. You know, I remember as a kid we sing a song, lift him up, lift him up. They oh, so yeah. speak eternity. You know, he said if I be if I be lifted up, well what we're actually saying is that like crucifying, crucifying because the scripture says you know he, he lifted up and that's it's speaking of of Calvary. It's it's, yes. it's, it's the cross. And so uh, I could go on and on and on, and uh, Project 490, uh, one of the things I want to bring out in that book is that we have the misconception that forgive and forget, and we say all the time, it's a cliche, it's a a statement, forgive and forget, but we're asking people and ourselves to do what God doesn't even do. And when I say that, most people go like, what? I mean, God does forget. No, He does not forget. He remembers no more, and there's a difference between remembering no more and forgetting. God does not forget. He's God. He chooses not to remember. There's a big difference. So in our mind, when someone does something, I mean, of a a gross sin against us, we're not going to forget that, but we can definitely choose not to bring it up and use Mm -hmm. it for the predictive purposes. So that is remembering no more. Again, I mean, the the Lord has ingrained this in me. Years ago, when I went to um, start my my pursuit of my doctorate, I'm looking at the fact I'm getting ready to spend six figures. I'm getting ready to spend years of my life, and I slept three and a half to four hours a night for um, some some years. Now I'm in a pattern where it's still difficult for me to sleep a whole lot longer. And uh, so I knew I was going to pay a price to do what I was pursuing. So I asked God, God, what do you want me to do? And the Lord spoke to me over and over again, study the show, the self-approve, and pray in the Holy Ghost. And it was the balance between those two. Be a spiritual person, but pray. And there is a spiritual side uh, of my life in pursuit that I don't talk a whole lot about. I wouldn't even go into this podcast. I wouldn't feel comfortable talking about it. But there's a spiritual side of this that a lot of people don't even see. They don't know. And to be be honest, the books helped me. Create a platform, so to speak, but I wouldn't do some of the things I've done in Asia if it hadn't been the pursuit of the spiritual side. Of the spiritual side is what is really what opened up the door. God used the books in in that, but it was really the spiritual side in that. Even today, at uh, 53 years old, um, I find that if I am leaning one way to the side of say studying and I'm not leaning the side of praying the Holy Ghost, or leaning too much to pray the Holy Ghost and not leaning the side of studying, then I'm out of balance. The balance between those two are so important. So as apostolic authors, I would encourage uh, everyone that is listening to, to pursue that balance between praying the Holy Ghost, being a spiritual person, and studying to show their self-approved. And dig deep. I promise you, dig deep. It, I, I wish I could say that to where that everyone could grasp it and run with it because I don't want to be really negative, but I've heard so many things and I cringe (laughs) because I hear things that are said that I'm going like, that's really not what the word of God is saying. Dig deep and then write it, put it in a book. And so I've written some things. I'm not going to say what it is right now, but I've written some things in a book that will come out next year. It's it's going to be challenging because there are some statements that are made that get made quite often that I'm saying, hey guys, you know what? This statements that you're actually making came out of the charismatic movement in the nineteen seventies. And the what? scripture actually says this. And what you're saying, in it's core and what you're trying to say is this. And I do agree with that. But if you say what you're saying, it could be taken to an extreme. And if it's mm-hmm. taken to an extreme, you end up with something that the charismatic movement was producing. That has created all kinds of issues, and we don't want that in the Apostolic Church. But the only way that we can correct that is through someone being able to to articulate it. Unfortunately, most people have not digged deep enough to recognize what's going on. And so writing can help bring about those those changes that are needed. Now, the challenge there is that I'm going to write that, but I stand a chance of getting blasted. By people who don't understand. So yeah. I've had to dig deep into the word of God and lay it out in mm-hmm. the, from the word of God in, in a form where a, an average person can read it and understand it and go like, well, I can't disagree with that. But what about this? And it leaves them with a question that they then have to go search and come up with an answer without blasting me. And, say, and, and I say blasphemy, I say that kind of having fun. What I really mean by that is by starting to read it and go like, well, that's not right. And just write it off and not pay attention. Yeah. I don't want that. I want them to read it to where they go. They go like, wow, you know what? I need to stop and consider this. So I've already ran the book by uh, multiple ministers. And if I started naming names, everybody on the podcast would recognize some of the names I ran it by and they're like, you know what? This is good. It needs to be said and but uh but it's going to be challenging and well so. i'm
0: excited for it i i'm a fan of making a ruckus and anytime you can make us better even if it's taking uh some of the edge and uh, filing it down you know iron sharpens iron even in the confrontation we can be made better
1: no well, there you go we'll see what happens <laughs> i have to say i'm a little it. bit nervous <laughs> <laughs> i've been nervous about this one because i've actually uh, i got a couple things in this book there's at least two that's going to be a little bit of a challenge though so. we'll see what go happens ahead.
0: Good. Well, thank you. I believe you've really benefited and blessed people, and I'm sure that we'll get together and talk again in the future uh, about the fundamentals of writing and the processes, and as I have more questions, I'll reach out. And uh, before we go, I want to ask you, where can the people listening find you and your books and maybe connect with you if they have a further question, things like that?
1: EquipyLeaders.net, right? (laughs) Yeah, EquipyLeaders.net. And uh, it's got my information there. I'm so sorry. I had a EugeneWilson.org, but I've, I've taken that down. And I used to sell my books myself and and uh, send them out. But it's just, with my schedule, it's gotten too crazy. So the easiest way is to go to Pentecostal Publishing House. Or uh, if you want an ebook, jump on Amazon. And uh, several of the books have been published in Spanish. And uh, recently, one has just been published in French. And I've got a couple that are coming out in Mandarin. And wow. uh, I rewrote 70 for business leaders, and we're waiting on that. I didn't even mention that one earlier. Rewritten for business leaders, we're waiting for the right time to release it. Anyway, we'll see what happens with that. But it's been a pleasure I'm... being a part of this. Thank you so very much. And there's so many yes, other sir. things I could love to talk about. Tools and Scrivener. I love, 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 love using Scrivener. Oh,
0: okay. I don't. I don't yeah.
1: know anybody else that's used that tool. Oh man, I love it. That's that's how I write. Probably 85% of the book, and then I take it from there and put it into Word and finish it Wow. Out. So that's yeah, a great. Tool. <laughs> yes,
0: we'll have to talk again. Thank yes. you again, sir. God bless you. God bless and you. And
1: your writing and your impact through writing. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. <laughs> take care. Bye bye.
0: Wasn't that great? Eugene Wilson is an awesome, awesome guy, a wonderful minister, very sincere in his desire to make an impact. And one of the ways that he makes an impact is through his writing. And just like TF10, he said, that was a piece of his ministry, a part of his ministry. Eugene Wilson today shows us that you can minister and continue to minister globally through your writing. It's just a huge opportunity. We're excited about that at Apostolic Publishing House. And I want to remind you that his website is equippingleaders.net. Go ahead and find him there. Get his books there. And... Lastly, again, if you want a partner in publishing your own book, or you have questions about the publishing process, go ahead and reach out to us at apostolicpublishinghouse.com.
1: You have a blessed one, and continue to write.